there is microplastics in human placenta, human lungs, blood, and the last scientific study showed that there is microplastics in breast milk. Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. I am a veteran international affairs journalist and the editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Negotiations for a new global treaty on plastics formally kicked off in early December. Delegates from around 160 countries met in Uruguay for the first round of talks aimed at reducing the harmful impact of plastics on both the environment and health. Antonio Guterres has called plastics, quote, fossil fuels in another form, and he has called on governments to support a treaty that not only deals with plastic waste and recycling, but the entire life cycle of plastics, including measures to control the production of plastics. My guest today, Andres del Castillo, attended the negotiations, which took place in the seaside city of Punta del Este. He is a senior attorney at the Center for International Environmental Law. We kick off discussing why regulating plastics through an international agreement is necessary. We then discuss the process for these negotiations and the stances thus far of key governments around the world, including the USA, China, the European Union, and countries in the global south. These negotiations have just begun and they are set to conclude in 2024. And this conversation will give you helpful context for understanding these negotiations as they unfold over the coming months and years. Now, here is my conversation with Andres del Castillo, senior attorney at the Center for International Environmental Law. Can I just have you like make the case for a plastics treaty? What is the harm from plastics and why is international cooperation required to mitigate that harm? First, let me set the scene and giving you a little bit of the context where we are with this idea of having a plastic treaty. We are first talking about a complex material consisting in mixtures of chemical, like additive processing aids and non-intentional added substance, which are out of control, mainly because two reasons. The first reason is the complexity of the material, and the second is the proliferation. So on the complexity, just to give you a scale of where we are, we are talking about 200,000 polymers that are in the EU market only, with more than 10,000 associated chemicals, meaning that plastics are complex and we are not just talking about seven specific resins, but about an infinite number of combinations of chemicals. 
and this complexity makes plastic difficult to deal with, is also linked to this idea of proliferation that we see in a huge number of applications and sectors of the economy, but as well we are seeing that on the environment, on the biota, and recently on human beings. There are recent studies that shows that there is microplastics in human placenta, human lungs, blood, and the last scientific study showed that there is microplastics in breast milk. So sometimes I refer to the absurdity of the crisis where we are is by quoting a UN scientific report that was launched last year that say that some evidence suggests that the use of microplastics in offshore oil and gas activities could be substantial. And microplastics are known to be used in production and drilling processes in oil and gas activities. For me, this absurdity shows that this idea of microplastics or plastic that are less than five millimeters are everywhere. And this is not only a question of waste, but also a question that the industry is using that every single day for different applications. But this is more than a microplastics treaty that is envisioned. This is a plastics treaty. What, generally speaking, is the harm that plastics impose on the environment? So since the 60s or 70s, there are documentation of physical harms. At the beginning, it was more to animals by ingestion of those debris. But more and more, we have a specific evidence on the chemical or the toxicity of those plastics in human beings and also in biota and in the environment in general. So it's because of this idea of complexity that we say that it's not only a question of plastic waste or the physical, sometimes items or products that we see on the beaches or on landfills, but it's also the material itself that is a problem. And this is something that was identified by different countries as a priority, as a common concern of humankind. So I'd love to have you explain to me the origin story of this potential plastics treaty. Is there a civil society movement behind it? I ask because a pattern that I've seen over the years reporting on the United Nations is that, you know, whether it's banning landmines or banning nuclear weapons, these ideas kind of percolate among civil society, then make their way to sympathetic governments who kind of take the ball from there. Is that what's happening here? How did this idea for a plastics treaty originate and get us to the point where we are today? Yeah, so first we, and when I say we from the civil society world, we consider that this has been what our role has been showing evidence through scientific methodologies or citizen science or just with different activities showing the gravity of the situation that was at the beginning more this is what is going on in different places around the world but also intentionally there are different coalitions or groups from the civil society that from the beginning were calling from a global control measures to plastics saying voluntary or national legislation is not enough we need something more comprehensive because the transboundary dimension of the problem and because we need 
countries to establish and set rules. So I will affirm that, yes, there is the civil society and other specific right holders behind this calling for specific global rules. But that is not possible to advance if you don't have, as you mentioned, some specific countries or regions that are champions. And what is specific for this idea of plastic pollution and measures is this something that even from the regulatory level, we see champions in different countries apart from the global north. For instance, Bangladesh was the first country to ban single-use plastic bags or Africa Early in the 90s, identified that plastic was a problem. And since the 90s, we have a specific legislation in Africa banning on controlling plastics. So we see in you know, different countries around the world this idea of championing the concept of global rules for the plastics as products and as materials. So I'd love to have you discuss process and where we go from here. So I've been covering the United Nations for a long time. And one lesson I have learned is that process dictates outcomes. So could you explain the context in which negotiations for a potential plastics treaty are taking place? I take it you just returned from Uruguay, where the first round of these negotiations occurred. Yes. So Uruguay was kind of the concretization of a dream for many of us, having all the countries of the world, of the majority, more than 160 countries, just talking about plastics. And this is only the first round of negotiations. But taking a step back, I can say that the origin of this mandate, that is the way how the UN works uh, for developing treaties, was adopted last March during the United Nations Environmental Assembly in Nairobi, where more than 175 countries agreed on a mandate that this kind of the recipe and the minimum elements that a body called INC or Intergovernmental Negotiating Committee should look at when negotiating a plastic treaty. So in March, we started with a specific mandate with a list of topics that the countries want to see reflected in a final treaty. But then they also clarified that we have a deadline to finish the discussions at the last part of 2024 with a potential diplomatic or plenipotentiary conference. That is the conference that closed the meeting for adoptions by different countries in early 2025. So the rules and the recipes and the ingredients for making this treaty were given at UNIA. Then the mandate clarifies that we need to have a specific meeting on preparations for the negotiation itself. And that happened in June in Dakar, Senegal, where countries meet to kind of set the rules of the game, called rules of procedures, and set also specific logistic and administrative matters. Then at Uruguay, we touched on both procedural issues last week, but also on substantive issues that will be discussed along these two years on the plastic tree. So essentially, the meeting in Uruguay was the kickoff for a substantive negotiations 
leading to one kind of big conference that'll happen sometime in 2025 to hopefully adopt some sort of international mechanism, potentially a treaty on controlling plastics. So say it's 2025. What would, in your mind, as an advocate on this issue, a maximally ambitious plastics treaty look like? What would it cover? What would it compel governments to do? Well, the good news is already in the mandate that I was referring, given by UNIA, you have specific elements and kind of the scope of the agreement that is to cover the full life cycle of plastics. And this can sound tautological, say full life cycle, but it was necessary to understand that the problem of plastics is not only a problem of plastic waste, but a problem with the whole life cycle of plastics as a material. Like the development of plastics itself requires a lot of fossil fuels, for example, and that the idea is a treaty should not just deal with better ways to recycle or reuse plastic, but indeed how to construct plastic in a more environmentally conscious way. Exactly. You said, right, what we use at the international levels as our gut is upstream, midstream and downstream stages of the life cycle. And on the upstream part, that is the really beginning of plastics, what we expect for the treaty is recognize that plastics life cycle starts at extraction point. And uh, so far, 99% of plastics are made with fossil fuel. But in the future, consider that the treaty is a long-term policy that will also be the ideas that cover also, the ideas that cover also agricultural feedstocks, for instance. So we call this first stage sourcing, meaning extraction, but also cultivation. And this is a specific recognition. Doesn't mean that that will be a priority for the next rounds of negotiations. And on the priority, what we want to see, of course, is a specific common objective that includes not only the environmental aspects, but also the human health and human rights aspect of the problem that need to be addressed through this mechanism. And this is mainly where we are advocating for is more upstream measures, meaning reduction of production of primary or virgin plastics. That needs to be a mean to achieve an end, that is end plastic pollution, right? But we don't see reduction only as a consequence of different policies, but as a mean. And for reduction, we need to talk about caps on production on plastics, then also on moratoria on new facilities or even on the expansion of existing facilities, petrochemical facilities that produce plastics, and also a reduction on fossil fuel subsidies and banning a specific type of plastics to us. Those are the reduction measures that we consider as means for the upstream part. Then, of course, we have other specific aspects to cover that is not only the polymer or one of the main materials for plastic, but also the additive and the toxicity of those additives, meaning there are chemicals of concerns, harmful, hazardous, dangerous, also persistent organic pollutants that need to be controlled through this mechanism. And finally, the midstream part, 
that is more related to the design of plastic as a material, right? What needs to be included or content and the design of products and, you know, how much recyclable material need to be used and rules of no enter to new plastics without data into a market. So it's a principle that comes from the European Union regulations on chemicals, no data, no market, meaning if you want to put something into the market, you need to show and to be transparent and to share the information that the product over the material is safe for consumers and for industrial use. And finally, the dumpstering part, that is the part that many people are talking about, you know, reusing and refilling systems. And also at the end, if that is not possible, the recycling part. So I take it there is a, quote, high ambition coalition of countries that broadly subscribe to this maximally ambitious idea of a plastics treaty that encompasses the entire life cycle of plastics. What countries are in that coalition and how are they approaching negotiations thus far? This is a first move that was led by Norway and Rwanda when the mandate for the negotiation was adopted and was to create an ambition coalition. So far, there are 55 members of that coalition, including the European Union, the European Union members, more than nine countries from Latin America. We have seen how Latin America is a champion region for the plastic treaty. But also there is a phenomenon, if I'm not wrong, there is some countries that we don't consider as high ambition, but are entering into the high ambition coalition because what they aim is to have something ambitious, but the question is how they are going to concretize that with the specific policies and proposals. So far, they have been shown that they want to end plastic pollution by 2040, and they say that already the date is ambition, and they want some specific measures to be taken more top-down, meaning control measures at the global level that will influence what happened at the national level. So this is where we are with this high ambition coalition. So that's a significant number of countries. And you said it includes all of the European Union that are seeking this more expansive view of a plastics treaty. What is the position thus far of the United States and China, which I take it are probably two of the larger international producers and consumers of plastic products. So for the United States and China, what we see is that they're really interested in the topic. And we can measure that by just saying the number of delegates or negotiators that were present at the first round of negotiations or first INC in Uruguay. China sent 24 delegates. And the U.S. sent around 30 delegates for the negotiation. This is an indication of how interested they are in the topic. But when it comes to the concretized idea of how the treaty will work, we see on the U.S. a lack of ambition in some specific parts, meaning they want to privilege Paris Agreement style for this plastic treaty, meaning that it will depend on national circumstances and on national capabilities and on national prerogative, the way how countries will address this crisis. 
So just to emphasize that point, the Paris Agreement model is distinct from a treaty. The Paris Agreement is a political agreement, the core of which includes voluntary actions taken by each country that is part of that political agreement. It is not a treaty, which is a legally binding agreement. Countries legally agree to take certain actions as opposed to voluntarily agree to take certain actions. And it is the United States's position at these early stages that they would prefer to see at the end of negotiations, not a draft treaty, but a draft political agreement encouraging countries to take certain steps within their national borders. Exactly. What they are trying to put forward is this idea of having national action plans as the backbone of the plastic treaty, meaning in a few words, a Paris Agreement style where you have national determinate contributions. And then they also are asking for specific monitoring and transparency measures. But so far, we don't see the point of meeting and spending thousands of millions of dollars to talk about voluntary measures, because this is what we have right now, right? We have many national action plans, but it's not working. So I guess I, to a certain degree, understand America's point of view here, just knowing what I know about American politics. It is exceedingly unlikely that if at the end this plastics treaty is opposed by the plastics and petrochemical industry, um, that you will have the sufficient two-thirds majority of the U.S. Senate vote to ratify this treaty. So it's one of those treaties that could be out there, as there are many, that the United States might never, ever ratify. So like, what's better here? Having the United States sort of agree to voluntary contributions or having a treaty that the United States lives outside of? This is a good question that we were trying to deal with during the first round of negotiation. And is this idea of flexibility, right? That we find flexibility features not only in the Paris Agreement style, and apart from national politics, where we think that the U.S., even if we have a Paris Agreement style, will be unable at the internal level to adopt and ratify this treaty, we see also this idea behind of countries trying to say, let's go for something more global. But if the U.S. is not member, or not only the U.S., but other countries that are more alienated with fossil fuels, lobby to have other tools. For instance, Mexico put forward as one of the tools that need to be included in the plastic treaty, a clause of parties, non-parties, similar to what we have under the Basel Convention, meaning that even if a country doesn't ratify or is not part of the treaty, they will be affected because they can't trade or be in negotiations with the parties of the treaty without uh, complying with the safeguard or provisions of the treaties. So this is also a feature that has been used and put forward as a way to say, well, if the U.S. is not part of the treaty, at least they will be affected by. And this is the case of the Basel Convention, where the U.S. is not a party of the treaty, 
but they are effects that affect them. What is the Basel Convention? It's the Basel Convention on Transboundary Movement of Hazardous Waste and Other Waste. And it's a global convention mainly on chemicals that is ratified by almost all the countries from the United Nations, minus the U.S. and Haiti and Sudan. And how currently is the U.S. existing outside the Basel Convention impacting America's ability to interact with countries that exist within it? Just to see how listeners can view this as a potential model for future plastics treaty. Yes, we saw it already in 2019 when it was adopted a specific amendment or modification of the Basel Convention to include plastic waste and classify certain plastic waste as uh, hazardous. And what that happened at the end was an amendment to control plastic waste that before 2019 was not a part of the scope of the convention. And now, if there is parties that want to export plastic waste to other parties, they need to apply the prior and informer consent, for instance. And this is something that has been modified of that convention. And even if the U.S. is not part of the convention, that affects them because all the parties that the U.S. wants to enter into negotiation with them need to pass a specific agreement with the same safeguard of the Basel Convention. So this is the case, for instance, the U.S. and Canada pass a specific agreement on the exports of plastic waste in 2020 or 2021, trying to comply with these Basel Convention rules. Because Canada is compelled to comply by it. By the Basel Convention, yes. So could you explain how you see China's position going forward? You said that they send a large delegation to that first negotiating conference. What do we know thus far about how they might approach, number one, this question of whether it should be a treaty or not, or some sort of political agreement a la the Paris Agreement? What do we know about China's position? First, we know that the question of plastic pollution is high on the agenda of China. We know that because in 2018, they passed an internal or a national law called the National SOAR, where they ban the import of plastic waste into mainland China. And this has been an accelerator or a driver of what we see today as a phenomenon that is understand that China received almost 50% of plastic waste from the world until 2018, where they banned the imports of plastic waste. So we saw many countries under many people from uh, understanding that the way how they were trying to recycle and sorting different plastic waste is not working because many of the products were sent abroad, mainly to China for disposal or recovery activities in China. So China, under environmental grounds, banning the import of plastic waste in 2018. So there is an interest on in China to work on that. We know also that the National Action Plan of China for Human Rights includes this idea of agroplastics and how to deal with that for soil fertility too. And also the World Trade Organization, China, together with Fiji and 75 countries, 
are leading in a specific initiative called Dialogue on Plastic Pollution. So it's not only the UNEI scenario where China has been present or active, but it's another scenario where China has been demonstrating that this is high in their agenda. Now, on the negotiation of the plastic treaty, it's the first time that China is sending delegates in person for this negotiation. For instance, when the mandate was adopted, China was really active, but remotely because of their internal policy regarding COVID. But this time, the negotiators, they were putting some specific language or some specific ideas over the counter. For instance, this idea of let's have all the elements before we end discussions. But also we can see that China was trying also to open the rules of procedures that establish a specific mechanism for voting, and they were trying to push for a consensus-based negotiation. That's interesting. So they are engaging procedurally and to a degree substantively as well. So we are speaking just a few days after this first round of negotiations concluded. What comes next and what will you be looking towards in the coming months and even years as the world builds momentum towards that 2024 deadline for these negotiations to conclude? So first, we're seeing raising interest by many countries. And we saw that last week where more than 74 countries taking the floor at the first day, for instance. This is kind of a, a record. Everybody wanted to take the floor on behalf of their countries or on behalf of the region, meaning that th there is interest on in that. We saw also international organizations coming forward and bringing their expertise on the topic. And we discussed mainly last week, and the main out outcome of the meeting last week was a request for UNEP or for the INC Secretariat to develop a specific document listing all the potential elements or options that need to be included in a treaty. And this in negotiation is good because it's giving a rhythm of what is going to happen at the INC2 or the second round of negotiation that will take place in Paris in the last week of May. And this idea of having a gravitational document where people will refer and talk about that document during the negotiation is important instead of not having anything so people can come and just talk. Now we are going to have a specific, a specific document by UNEP with a list of the potential control measures, obligations, scope, and different elements for a plastic treaty that, if everything goes well, will result in zero draft for the negotiations for the INC3 or the third round of negotiation that will take place in November in Nairobi, Kenya. And this is kind of where we are right now. It's a specific request for the UNEP to work in a document listing potential elements. They will use all the inputs received during the last week with opinions from many governments, but also by stakeholders. And there will be a possibility to send written submissions so they can take into consideration that when developing this specific document, that is a list of all the potential provisions. 
And just to be clear, UNEP is the United Nations Environment Program. And you are saying that, that basically negotiations in these first two rounds are kind of building up towards what's called a zero draft in these situations, basically a very rough draft of a potential treaty or outcome document of some sort. And that's what you're looking out towards in the coming months. Exactly. This is where we are right now. And of course, it will be intense the next two years because we all know that the topic is complex and the task is difficult. So we will see many intersessional discussions or discussion that happens outside this formal round of negotiation scheme where countries by region or by alienation will come together to start developing and concretizing what they want to see in a plastic treaty. All right. Well, Andres, thank you so much. Thanks to you, Mark. Thank you for listening to Global Dispatches. Our show is produced by me, Mark Leon Goldberg, and edited and mixed by Levi Sharp. If you have questions or comments, please email us using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Before you go, do take a moment to show your support for the show by becoming a premium subscriber. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can do so with a couple taps of your thumb. If you're listening elsewhere, you can go to patreon.com slash global dispatches. We rely on support from listeners to continue to do what we do far into the future. And by becoming a premium subscriber, you will unlock access to our entire archive of hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Please rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts.